This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash. Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. What's up, guys? I've been happily married for 18 years to this beautiful woman, and I've been told that in marriage, there are two things that you most often fight about, sex and money. But that's not true. I'm here to tell you the one thing that you're going to most often fight about is twist ties, whether or not you save them, whether or not they go back on the bread, just that and emptying the dishwasher. The reality is that's what you're actually going to fight about most. So, so like... Enjoy your money and sex, but dishwashers and twist ties are going to be the issue. Wow. <laughs> that is a famous uh, uh, person on TikTok who gives uh, marriage advice, and most of the time he's just joking around. He does it with his wife, and it's very, very funny. And he makes a great point that, that often the things that we struggle with in marriage and even other relationships are the things that we don't really expect. My guest is Bob Lapine. Bob Lapine is the author of a new book, Building a Stronger Marriage, The Path to Oneness. And before the break, Bob, we were we were talking about those sorts of things that you just have to learn about. And, you know, some of them are are lighthearted, you know, that you learn about your your spouse, that they grew up with with different things. They have different things in their background that lead to expectations of the new spouse that may not be realistic. Uh, in my in my marriage with Christy, one of the things we really had to deal with was taking the trash out uh, for her. She would want the trash out weeks in advance if possible. But for me, I'm completely happy getting the trash out a half a second before the arm of the truck actually comes down to grab it. Uh, I'm running out there in my underwear and get it out if I forgot. I don't care as long as it gets done in time. But, uh, Bob, there's more serious things that people often bring into marriage in their background, trauma or sin or other things. How do we have the conversations with our spouse as those things come up, either while we're, we're dating and premarital, or often we don't even realize it until we've been married several years. How do we bring those things up and, and talk through them in a graceful way? Yeah, that, that's a, a challenging assignment. And let me just say about some of these seemingly trivial things, one of the breakthroughs for Marianne and me was when we came to the recognition that different Uh, doesn't always mean wrong. Sometimes it just means different. And we have to allow for the fact that uh, our our choice about how the toilet paper roll goes or how the toothpaste tube gets squeezed or all of these different things, we we have different approaches, but it it really, it doesn't matter. They're they're differences and they're not, there's no Bible verse to say this is how these things should be done. So we've had to learn to love and value and appreciate the different perspectives we have and not to, to, to recognize that to have a difference is some people escalate a minor difference into uh, a major issue. And mm. I think it's showing insecurity in other areas of their marriage that uh, that have to be addressed. But you, you talked about trauma. I mean, when people come into marriage with some area of their life that's been affected by deep, profound 
loss or grief, some traumatic experience that's been a part of their past, uh, that's going to be an area in their life that is like a, but uh, it's like a, a a sore arm or a, a sore leg. There's a limp that comes with it, and you get near that tender, vulnerable, wounded area in a relationship, and they're going to recoil. They're going to pull back. They're going to snap. They're going to be protective. Um, so oftentimes you may be talking about uh, something that seems innocent to you, and you watch your spouse react in a in a way that seems disproportionate to the conversation. I think you have to stop and go, hang on, there's something here that mm. needs needs some exploration. We We need to dig a little deeper, and we may need to get some help. We may need to get a counselor or a pastor or a, an older couple who's been through some of this and just help us begin to walk through uh, some of these areas. I, I'm thinking particularly, Scott, of um, people I know who have experienced childhood sexual abuse. Yes. And if, if that's been a part of your background, and for for many women, then the last number I've seen is somewhere between um, between 30 and 40 percent of women who are stepping into a marriage had unwanted sexual touching happen happening when they were a child. Uh, when when that happens to you as a child, then to try to have a healthy marital intimacy, we're again we're getting near an area of your life where there there's tenderness, where there's there's a lot of trauma, and it's no wonder that there can be uh, a reaction against marital intimacy when we're talking about an area of your past that that's traumatic. And I think a lot of couples are saying, can we just avoid that? Can we just, mm. if we'll just stay away from that area, then everything will be okay. Do you think but that that's because... our relationship where we just can't stay away from it, right? Yes. Do you think that's because people are afraid or is it more of a sense of, of shame or embarrassment or or just the fear maybe that there's nothing you can do to resolve it? I think for some people, um, there may be there may be a shame component added to it. Um, one of one of the issues I talk about in build a stronger marriage is the idea that we bring shame and guilt with us into a marriage, and if that's not been resolved, if we haven't understood how the gospel uh, addresses shame and guilt, then that can that can be an influence in our marriage. But I think for a lot of traumatic events. It's not a case of shame and guilt. If you were a victim of, of sexual abuse, you, you may have a shame reaction, which has to be uh, understood and dealt with. But but it's a bigger thing. It's just you, you know that you're still weak and wounded in that area, and somebody gets near that area, and you're just gonna you're gonna say, "Don't come near mm. where it hurts too bad." And and this is where again we need help to to help heal the woundedness and to help get to wholeness. This is why I love the fact that the gospel is all about bringing beauty from ashes. Yes. Because we, we all bring our our bag of ashes with us into our marriage, our suitcase full of ashes into our marriage. And we think, is there any help for all of this? Yes, there is. But it takes some work and some time, and it takes the application of the gospel and believing the gospel in order for the healing to happen in our lives. You you mentioned a statistic a minute ago. I think you said forty percent of people are carrying in some kind of sexual trauma, maybe to to marriage. 
And I, I wanted people to hear that because I, I do want people to know who are listening to us and saying, well, this is me, but I've never wanted to talk about it, that you're not alone, that you're not right. like you're not even part of just a small, tiny group of people that unfortunately this is something that goes on all the time. But you should also know that there is definitely hope for you to move through this and understand the grace that we have through Christ, that there is no condemnation through Christ, and that your partner, your spouse can understand that as well. I, I think that's that's so important. And I think w- when you're facing this kind of a, an area in your life where there has been profound hurt and where there's still tenderness and there's emotional soreness there, you you can either say, well, I'll just live with this for the rest of my life and try to avoid that, and, and that's going to be an unhelpful strategy. Or you can say, we need to get a specialist to look at this, and it may hurt for a little bit, but we can get that bone reset, and we can get things functioning the way they're supposed to be functioning, and life can be what it was designed to be rather than trying to figure out how to accommodate my my woundedness and just uh, stay away from it as much as I can. So my, my hope is that with a book like this, with some pastoral help and counseling, couples can begin to resolve issues that they have just tried to tried to set off in the corner and say, let's just not talk about that. The book is called Build a Stronger Marriage, The Path to Oneness by Bob Lapine. And, uh, you know, maybe, you know, I'm thinking as you're talking, some people are, I think, even afraid to take the, the first step. Is that one of the great things about this book, that maybe it would be a first step to going and getting help or talking to your pastor or getting a counselor if you need it? I think a lot of people are afraid to come out and deal with that. Would the book help with that? That's my hope, is that uh, I, the ideal situation would be for an older couple and a younger couple to get together and to go chapter by chapter through this book so that you can understand uh, what you're experiencing in marriage is not unique. See, because we stay isolated, because because we think we're the only ones having any of these problems, all those other couples that we see at church or wherever we're going, they don't look like they're having any marriage mm-hmm. problems. It looks like we're the only ones having problems. And of course, they don't see our problems because we put on a, a good face when we get to church. If we can get together with one another and say, you know, I we've had issues like that in our marriage. It can just help take the pressure off and we can feel like, okay, maybe it's not as bad as it it feels like. I remember when we were raising our teenagers, uh, we would go to our small group meeting at church on Sunday night. And I remember driving over to our small group meeting, feeling like uh, this has been a terrible weekend and our kids are all going to be in prison someday because they're just, they're out of control and we don't know what we're doing as parents. And then we would get with our small group, and we would start to talk about what everybody had been going through that week. And I would come home feeling like, okay, everybody's having to deal with this with their teenagers. We're not alone in this situation. In fact, some people's situation was was harder than ours. And it just gave us a fresh sense that we can stay in the fight. We can keep working on it. We can keep doing better. And uh, that God's with us in the midst of all that. I hope with this book we can do that for couples in their marriages. Bob, what are some things that we should say to our wife or to our husband, our spouse? We've been married a while. We're dealing with the things that that creep up on us that we didn't expect. You mentioned that you you go on date nights with your wife, I think. And and 
Christy and I struggle with with getting out there and having real date nights that's just about each other. Sometimes we get a date night and it's about going somewhere where we can take a nap <laughs> and, <laughs> and get a break. Right? We got kids. We got we're both busy. We're tired. And uh, what are what's some advice that you have for married couples to push through some of the challenges that come along the way? Well, I, th- I think we have to have realistic expectations that our date nights are oftentimes uh, a, a, an executive meeting of the family, uh, the, the family council. So it's mm-hmm. the CEO and the COO who are getting together and we're getting out our calendars and we're talking about what's coming up and what our priorities are. And Marianne and I still do this even in the empty nest years where we uh, sit down once a week and we're we're conferring, okay, what's coming up and what are our plans and what are the kids, who's doing what for Thanksgiving and where are we going to be? And you just have to deal with the, the mechanical part of the, the relationship. You have to do the work of communication cool. on those things. Well, it's right. And and most of that is is functional communication as opposed to relational or emotional communication. So we have to figure out how we're going to schedule uh, other times for some of that. And that may mean it's a, a day's drive rather than a date night. You may have to take uh, a Saturday and just go for a long drive and see a part of the state that you haven't seen before. But on the way there and on the way back, uh, be able to have some organic conversations that are going to come up or take a book like this in the car with you and uh, read through a chapter together and see what conversation comes up as you're as you're in the midst of other things or running errands as, as you do them. Uh, I, I have some friends who would say once a week there needs to be some kind of connection point that may be an hour, an hour and a half. That may be all you get, especially with kids around the house and the cost of babysitting, all of that. But then once a quarter, you probably need a day where the two of you can get away for the day and you can do a little more in-depth conversation, not only about priorities, but figure out a way to have some fun in there to do an activity that you would both enjoy. Marianne and I recently did a sunset kayak cruise. Now, look, we're in our 60s, right? Uh And she said, let's go kayaking on on the river. And I'm thinking, this is what young people do. But we got out there and we had a two-hour kayak cruise and and driving there and driving back and just the experience of doing it together is a part of, those are shared memories, a part of how you bond together. And then my friends also say you, you need once a year where you get away for a couple of nights. And I know parents are thinking, how do you do that in childcare? You find a way to do it. You call some other family that's got kids your age and say, look, can we trade this? We'll take your kids one weekend. You take our kids one weekend. You get away for one weekend. We'll get away. Call grandma and grandpa. Have them come and stay for a couple of days. But you need uh, – here's what I've found. It's not until the kind of the first 24 hours have passed when Marianne and I are away that we start to – relax enough to be able to have some of the conversations that we're just too busy to have the rest of the time. So that's why you've got to have some of those rhythms built in to your marriage. And you talked about the things you do say, Scott, in the, in the last part of this book, uh, I talked about the, the habits that are the, uh, the best practices for couples whose marriages are thriving, because we can spend a whole lot of time talking about how you fix what's wrong, but we have to make sure that we're also building in what are the positive 
uh, kinds of practices that are going to cause a marriage to thrive. Your last part of the book uh, talks about those practices, extravagant love, enthusiastic encouragement, common convictions. Uh, What are some examples of those things? Those areas. Yeah. So so things like enthusiastic encouragement, we have to be cheerleaders Mm. with one another, intentional, purposeful. Uh, Marianne knows how critical, how important it is for me to to hear her cheering me on, even when maybe I'm not doing great. I have Mm. a friend who was a high school cheerleader, and she said, our team was terrible. We didn't win any games. And, and in the fourth quarter, when the team is down by three touchdowns and you're out there shouting, you can do it, you can do it. She goes, we're, we know they can't do it. You know, we're watching them. They can't do it. But we still cheered them on. And we, when they came off the field after losing by three touchdowns, we were still there cheering them, saying, next week you'll get them. Or, you know, uh, you, you, you played really hard. We need to be doing that with one another. We need to be the, the cheerleaders and the encouragers. The Bible calls us, encourage one another, strengthen one another, bear one another's burdens. And I think I think encouragement, that's just one area. Couples who, who go the distance and who thrive spend a lot of time encouraging one another and uh, supporting and believing in one another. That is excellent advice. And, you know, I've, I've learned that sometimes even if you don't feel like it, if you just force yourself to say it, it helps break through that. Yeah. 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 C.S. Lewis said the best way to acquire a virtue is to pretend like you already have it. That's right. (laughs) And so he was he was saying, just just get in the rhythm. You make you know, we we say fake it till you make it. And and I would say nobody wants faking. But by the same token, there are some things that we can be doing as a discipline that will later grow into a habit and will become a healthy part of our marriage relationship. You know, lastly, in the book, you talk about a best practice of common convictions, and this has a lot to do, I think, with the restoration and, and the continual growth and joy in marriage is focusing on our hope in the right place in Jesus Christ. It really does, and we can get divided over all kinds of things. I remember watching an old Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers movie where they're out doing a dance routine on roller skates, and they sit down and they sing the song, you know, you say potato and I say potato, you say tomato and I say tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. Mm. They, they, it's kind of a funny thing. We, we don't see anything the same way. We should call the whole thing off. Well, those really are trivial things. But couples whose marriages thrive have got their core convictions that they keep coming back to and say, you may say tomato and I may say tomato, but we both say uh, Jesus. We, we both say God's glory is what matters to us. We both say that the Bible is important. And when you're in a marriage where there's not a shared spiritual foundation, uh, that's when it can be, be tough, because the thing that matters most to you in your life is not something you share with your partner. And that's another book or another broadcast for another day. But for couples who have that shared commitment to Christ, we need to make sure that that is the sun in the center of our marital solar system and that everything else is revolving around that. And so we see things differently with regard to smaller things. Let's come back to what we agree on, and that is what's most important to us, and that is that God would be honored and gloried in our, glorified in our married relationship. Bob, that's excellent advice, and I want to thank you for being on our, our program today. Uh, it's been a joy to talk to you, and I want to encourage everybody to get uh, Bob Lapine's new book. 
It's called Building a Stronger Marriage, The Path to Oneness. And uh, like you mentioned, it's not real long. It's something that you can get through, but it will take you through a lot of the things that and I was saying to you earlier, I think that it's some of what you address in that book is unique with uh, a lot of the marriage books and things that people say. There's some key nuggets in there that I think will really help strengthen a lot of us just from uh, wherever we find ourselves now at whatever stage in marriage. Well, that's my hope, and that's my prayer. And we sit down to write a book. You want to say something that, that maybe folks haven't heard said before. So after 28 years of talking about marriage and family on Family Life Today, I thought, I've heard a few things that helped me. Maybe I can pass some of this along to some others. Bob, what's the best place to get the book? It's available at Amazon and other places like that. What's the best place? It is, uh, you know, wherever you go to get books, you should be able to find it there. And so uh, I'll just send folks wherever they, they, they look for good books. All right. Once again, the name of the book, the name of the book is Build a Stronger Marriage, The Path to Oneness by Bob Lapine. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. I was finishing undergrad and got credit cards because I couldn't work full-time. So that started the credit card journey for me. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. And then when I got married, we combined our credit card debt, and it became impossible to pay off on our own. At that point, I was like, I don't know where to turn. And then I found... Trinity. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relief. I mean, in a matter of three years, we've already paid down $20,000 in credit card debt, which is huge. Call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. That's 1-800-990-6976.